This is Mark Halleck, and welcome to the Leading Church Revitalization Podcast. This podcast is designed to encourage and equip you for the work of leading church revitalization in your context. I really hope and pray you will be helped and you'll be encouraged and you might even be a little bit inspired in our time together. Because here's the truth, there's a lot of churches people have given up on that God is just not done with. So thanks for coming by and let's link arms together to replant and revitalize churches for the glory of God and for our joy in Him. Welcome back to the podcast. Last week, we began looking at what we're just calling nine practical strategies for building trust as a pastor. And we looked at three of these last week. We looked at encouraging your people like crazy, talked about the importance of that. Number two, over-communicating everything. That's vitally important in building trust. And then the third one we talked about last week was visiting the sick and the hurting. And we talked about how to actually make a visit that is helpful and some of the components of making a good pastoral visit to those who are sick or hurting. And today we're going to pick things up with number four, which is intentionally elevate others above yourself. Listen, no one wants to follow a pastor who is constantly putting himself at the center and making everything about him. Are your positive sermon illustrations always about yourself? Is your manner of doing things always preferred over the way others would do them? When you speak about other leaders or churches in the community, do you often mention how you could be learning from them? Or do you spend more time talking about how they can learn from you? If so, this may be a sign that something is off. This is the opposite, quite frankly, of Christ-like leadership. The Lord calls us to decrease so that Christ and others may increase. This is at the heart of loving leadership. And loving leadership is rooted in humility. You see, a humble, mature, godly leader will be excited about elevating others. They will encourage others to take the lead. They will desire to give others the spotlight. If we want to earn the trust and win the hearts of our people, We must elevate others above ourselves. The question is, will you lead in this way? Do you desire to lead in this way? If not, why? Is it pride? Insecurity? Is it a desire to be noticed and praised? Whatever the heart issues might be, let me encourage you to take these to the Lord. He wants to bring the healing and the transformation that you need to be the pastor and leader he has called you to be. Here's number five. Practice healthy ministering touch. Touch is a sticky topic, not only in our culture as a whole, but also in our churches. In fact, many people in our day avoid touch altogether out of fear. The sad reality is that many people have distorted God's gift, and it's a good gift of touch, in order to satisfy sinful desires. This kind of sinful and abusive touch has brought unspeakable pain to countless individuals, both inside and outside the church. 
It is yet another example of how things are not the way they are supposed to be in this fallen world. And yet at the same time, the Lord created us as human beings to both give and receive healthy, loving touch in our relationships with one another. Healthy touch is a primary way we can show care and comfort to others. All you have to do is look at the life and ministry of Jesus to see this is true. Jesus himself was constantly demonstrating the importance and power of healthy touch, or what you might call ministering touch. Whether in placing his hands on the sick and diseased, comforting the bleeding and the unclean, or befriending the happy and healthy, touch was an important part of Jesus's earthly ministry. When it comes to our own ministries, the same must be true. Healthy ministering touch is an important yet often neglected aspect of effective shepherding in the church. Of course, we must use great discernment in this. There are generational distinctives that affect what touch looks like in a congregation. Moreover, the cultural demographic of a congregation will often shape how a pastor practices ministering touch. For example, if your church is made up primarily of Hispanic brothers and sisters, it may be quite normal on Sunday mornings to see your people greet one another with joyful hugs and perhaps even kisses on the cheek. This is much different than many conservative traditional Anglo congregations, which, let's be honest, can be less warm and less open to physical touch beyond a formal handshake. Again, we must be wise and discerning as we try to navigate this. However, while it may look different from church to church, healthy ministering touch is not only appropriate but important to biblical pastoral care. Regardless of whether or not you are naturally a touchy or huggy kind of person, and hopefully you know what I mean by that, when trying to build trust in your church, be mindful of the power of touch. Whether it is through a warm handshake, an appropriate hug, a gentle pat on the back, or holding someone's hand in prayer. The Lord will use your ministering touch to bring encouragement and comfort to his people. He will also use this display of love in your efforts to build trust and credibility with your congregation. Here's number six. Be quick to show grace to those who fail and fall short. People will mess up. We all do. The question is, will your congregation be one that is quick to show grace to those who fail, or will it be quick to show condemnation? Over time, you as the pastor will have a major influence on what type of culture is created in your church. What I can tell you is that typically, where you see a church marked by great love and deep trust for their pastor, you find in that pastor a leader who has shepherded the flock with Christ-like love and grace, particularly when people fail and fall short. It is important for our people to hear this often. It's okay to fail. Let me ask you this. Why were so many messed up, broken people drawn to Jesus? It's not too hard to answer. It's because when sinners came to Jesus, they experienced grace. Undeserved, life-changing grace. Every time. And this grace produced deep trust in the Savior. In the same way, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 2.4 that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads sinners to repentance. Grace, not condemnation, leads to transformation. 
It is no different when it comes to shepherd leadership in the church. It is kindness, it's love and mercy and grace that leads people to repentance and transformation in Christ. This also is what causes a congregation to love and trust their pastor, showing him the same kind of grace he has demonstrated to them. Number seven, thank people for anything and everything. Thankfulness is a powerful thing. It is powerful in our relationship with God, and it's powerful in our relationships with others. As pastors, we need to be quick to thank our people for anything and everything. And I mean just that. We need to be thankful for anything and everything. When you see volunteers on Sunday mornings, thank them. When you see leaders in your congregation selflessly serve others, thank them. When you observe small, random acts of kindness from faithful church members, thank them. Another powerful way we can express thanks to those in our congregation is through regularly writing thank you notes. Many of us grew up with parents who made us write thank you notes after receiving a birthday or Christmas card. I know mine did. While this was a bit annoying to my 13-year-old self, I'm now so grateful that this discipline was instilled in me from a young age. While a thank you note in the form of a physical card sent through the mail is particularly meaningful, especially in this day and age, it's not the only way to do it. It might be that a thank you note in the form of a well-thought-out text message or email is just as impactful. It really depends on the individual receiving it and how they feel loved. No matter the format, the important thing is becoming a leader who is intentional to express thankfulness to people consistently. Perhaps make a goal for yourself to send five thank you notes a week to different individuals in your congregation. However it might look, remember the power of thankfulness. I promise you, saying thank you will mean the world to the person receiving it. Number eight, be quick to say sorry and ask for forgiveness. Look, no one wants to follow a leader who believes they are never wrong. The kind of leader who refuses to acknowledge when they have fallen short. The kind of leader who rarely, if ever, says they are sorry or asks for forgiveness. On the other hand, people are typically eager to follow a leader who is humble enough to admit when they have made a mistake, when they've hurt someone's feelings or failed to follow through in some way. While this is true in every area of leadership, it's critical in the leadership of a pastor. Sadly, we live in a day and age where many pastors are known not for their humility, but for their hunger for power and prestige. As a result, many sheep under their leadership are wounded, they're beat up, and their faith is often crippled as a result. This kind of behavior on the part of a pastor is not only unbiblical, it's not only ungodly, but it's disqualifying. But it produces in the congregation, ultimately, Not a spirit of trust, but one of fear and distrust toward their pastor. If we desire to be the kinds of shepherds that Jesus calls us to be, then we must lead in a completely different manner. If we want to see our congregations filled with healthy, humble, gracious, godly men and women, and I hope you do, then we must seek by God's grace to lead and shepherd in this same way. This means we must be quick to humble ourselves before our people, quick to apologize, quick to own when we have messed up, not make excuses, not try to defend ourselves, quick to say sorry 
and ask for forgiveness. Over time, a congregation that sees their pastor live and lead in this way, trusting in the gospel of grace, will follow his example. Apologizing is important in friendship, and it's important in marriage, and it's important as a pastor. Number nine, finally, like in marriage, we must learn to love what others love. When you get married, there will be some things that your spouse is into, that they're interested in, things they love to do that, quite frankly, you don't love to do. You're not really into them. Well, guess what? You'd better get into them fast. Part of a healthy marriage is learning to love the things your spouse loves, even if those things are new or different. The same concept applies to loving and leading our churches. What do the people in your congregation love? What do they get excited about? What brings them joy? How can you begin to care about and get involved with these things? Whatever it might be, the wise pastor will learn to love what the sheep under his care love too. I want to close this podcast on building trust with a story. It's a true story that I hope helps to illustrate the importance of building trust with those in a congregation in order to lead them into the future. When I look back at the early stages of our revitalization at Calvary Inglewood years ago, one of the key events God used to build a true sense of unity and trust within our congregation is what I simply refer to as the retreat. By the way, leading a retreat like this is one of those practical things I encourage every revitalizer to do in some form or fashion within the first year of being at their church. Here's the context. After I had been at Calvary for about six months, we began seeing some new people from the community begin to attend our church. A few families, a few couples, and a handful of singles were beginning to worship with us regularly on Sunday mornings. More than that, they started hanging around after the worship service and building relationships with the rest of the congregation. It brought me joy to see some new faces beginning to make Calvary their church home. The Lord was moving. He was beginning to bring new life to this struggling church. Well, it didn't take long before our congregation was basically split 50-50. We had around 30 individuals who had been part of the church for many years, and now alongside them, we had around 30 new folks. At this time, I began to sense a strange dynamic starting to form. It's not that there was a sense of animosity between these two groups. It's just that there wasn't a strong sense of unity and trust that existed, at least not yet. Even though we were worshiping together and even gathering together for fellowship, there seemed to be a distance between the two groups, and I couldn't put my finger on it exactly. It was almost as if we had two different congregations beginning to form, unintentionally, of course, but it was a reality. We had Calvary 1.0, that's what I called it, those who had been at Calvary for years, and then there was Calvary 2.0, those that were new since I showed up. What needed to happen was for our church made up of both groups to become Calvary 3.0. The question was, how would we get there? Of course, it always takes time to build relationships of trust, but was there something more we could do, something that would help us sooner rather than later become a more unified, trusting church family on mission together? This is where the retreat comes in. 
we decided to take our entire congregation, both the 1.0ers and the 2.0ers, on a weekend retreat to a nearby camp and conference center. The hope and prayer was that God would work in a unique and powerful way over these few days in the life of our church, and by His grace, He did just that. The first night, after we got settled in our rooms and spent some time doing some fun icebreakers as a group, we gathered in a large circle. One of the keys to helping our church move forward together was making sure our faithful church members, who had been part of Calvary for years, knew how much they were valued by myself and the 2.0ers. This group of godly men and women had kept our church afloat through many hard years, and they deserved our honor and encouragement. Moreover, there was so much we could learn from them about the history of Calvary. So as we all sat in a circle together, I asked the 1.0ers to basically share the story of Calvary. I said to them, friends, many of us in this room are new to this great church, and there's so much we don't know. We would love to hear you share the story of Calvary and all the things that have happened over the years since it was founded in the late 50s. For the next few hours, the 1.0ers, one after another, began sharing stories. They shared stories that made Calvary the church that it was. There was laughter and there were tears, and they spoke of seasons of great joy and seasons of deep sorrow, which the church endured by the power and grace of God. By the end of this time, it was amazing what God had done with those in that room. The 1.0ers felt loved, affirmed, and encouraged by the 2.0ers as they expressed genuine interest in learning from these long-haul faithful members and leaders of Calvary. Moreover, it was moving to hear the 2.0ers share their heartfelt thanks for the time, the energy, and the sacrifice that had been given over so many years just to keep Calvary going. The Spirit of God moved in a powerful way that night. Well, the next morning, we got up, ate some breakfast, sang a few worship songs, and gathered back together in our big circle. I opened our time. I said, last night, we were blessed to listen to stories of what God has done throughout the history of Calvary. As you look around this circle, you quickly notice that there are many of us here who are new to our church. And while we haven't shared in the history of what was shared last night, we are here because we want to embrace it. We desire to become part of that history. I went on. So here's my goal for this morning. I want the 2.0ers, the new folks, to share the things you love about these 1.0ers and the things you heard about last night. Why do you want to be part of this church? Why do you love Calvary? Well, for the next few hours, through tears of joy and laughter and encouragement, they shared. This new group of godly men and women went on and on about what they loved about Calvary. I love the old pews. I love the fact that you all have been here for so long and you never gave up on this church. I love our preschool and that we minister to children and families who wouldn't be accepted into any other preschools because they lack resources. I love the neighborhood that surrounds the church. I love how Calvary loves the Bible. I love how caring this church is. On and on they went. You can imagine that by lunchtime, there was a lot of loving going on in that room. Unity and trust was being built with every kind word of affirmation and gratitude that was shared. The Lord was faithful in transforming us into Calvary 3.0 right before our very eyes. 
When we came back in the afternoon for our third and final session, I shared with the group that it was time to switch gears. I wanted us to build off all that was heard and shared the previous evening, as well as during the morning session. I wanted us to begin to dream together about the future of Calvary, to begin to envision what we would love to see God do through our little church for the sake of our community and the glory of God. It was time for us to begin to ask the question, what if? What if we tried this idea? What if we trusted God for that? What if we reached out to the community in this way? What if? It was time to dream and this group was ready. Dave Elliott, who had been part of Calvary for over 50 years at the time and was viewed as the trusted leader of the congregation, helped me lead this session. Dave is a humble, godly man that everyone in that room respected deeply. We set up a giant whiteboard and I gave Dave the marker. He began to fill up that whiteboard with all kinds of dreams and potential ideas that our group came up with and shared out loud. For the next few hours, we dreamed and we prayed and we dreamed some more. And to this day, it was, it was one of the most fun and exciting whiteboard brainstorms I have ever been part of. There were good ideas, there were bad ideas, there were crazy ideas, but it didn't matter. The point was that we were all dreaming together as a unified body of believers eager to see the Lord made famous through our congregation. That dreaming session closed out our retreat together. To say that we left that place fired up about the Lord and the future God had for us is the understatement of the year. Calvary 3.0 had arrived and we were ready for the mission God had for us. I can tell you this, when we came back together for our regular worship service on Sunday morning of that weekend, it felt like everything had changed. There was genuine unity. There was palpable love. There was fresh vision. There was an unspoken shared resolve to trust God and trust one another wholeheartedly. That strange dynamic I had been feeling before the weekend had all but disappeared. I can remember going up to preach that morning, looking out at our congregation and thinking to myself, it is on. It is game time. God is about to do something incredible through this little church. A new level of trust had been built, and where there is trust in a congregation, not only with the pastor, but between the congregants themselves, the Lord does amazing work. Again, I share this story because I hope it helps to illustrate the importance of winning the hearts of those in a congregation in order to lead them into the future. When people feel genuinely loved and encouraged, walls of fear and insecurity begin to come down. Trust is earned, and a church body begins to move out on mission together. This is vitally important when leading a declining or dying congregation. We must start with loving our people through genuine care and hopeful vision. If this doesn't happen, forget about seeing your church revitalized for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom. It won't happen, at least not in the way the Lord desires. So friends, listen, this is your calling. This is your calling as a pastor. Know the flock intimately, feed the flock faithfully, lead the flock wisely, protect the flock courageously. Trust in the Lord. He is with you and he will give you all that you need to carry out your calling and so much, much more. 
Thanks so much for checking out the podcast today. Hey, as you continue to grow, I want to point you in the direction of a book called Leading Church Revitalization. This entire podcast is really built on and based on that book. You can pick it up at Amazon.com today. Also, check out acomapress.org. Press is committed to putting out resources to help encourage and equip you as a revitalizer or a replanter. It's also very committed to help equip congregations that are struggling and facing serious decline. And one last thing, I would love to stay in touch with you. So let's connect on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Any way I can serve you, I would love to do that. Man, I can't wait till we're together next time. Thanks so much for stopping by. God bless you all.